0: I'm Eileen Dunn, and this is a special edition of The God Slot from the 50th International Eucharistic Congress at the RDS. was the great Count John McCormack singing César Frank's Panis Angelicus which brings back memories to many of the 1932 International Eucharistic Congress also held in Dublin. One of them is Sister Oliver Rafter, a presentation sister and sister you were as a child actually at the Congress in 1932.
1: What are your memories? You were at the Children's Mass I gather. I was indeed. I was nine years of age uh, when the Congress came up. And we were all told to have white dresses and white veils and a flag. And we were told to be in on Marion Square to, and to welcome in the paper legged as he was coming in from Dun Laoghaire by horse and carriage. And my sister was with me. She was just two years older than me. And um, we were waiting for hours. And she fainted. And they took her away they came and took her away and they didn't tell me where they were bringing her and I was frightened I think I began to cry at the time but um, they brought her back anyway after some time when she came to they had brought her to St John's Ambulance was down the street but I didn't know that but, but I remember that was a wonderful time and then I remember being in the park for the children's day and in those days, we had to kneel all during Mass. There was no sitting down. We were kneeling on the grass, I remember. And again, we had to have our white frocks and our white veils. And I remember hearing John McCormack singing. And I remember hearing uh, St. Patrick's Bell being rung. And, and it had been taken out from the museum. And, and that was a, a wonderful memory that has stayed with me. You've been attending the Congress
0: every day this week. How, uh, yes. how would you compare the two? 1932 and this
1: week? Well, of course, I'm looking at it from different eyes now and, 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 and I'm very pleased I'm, I'm very happy that I'm here and, and I'm, I'm surprised at the big numbers. I really thought that the numbers would be down but i but, um, the first three days were wonderful and, and lovely and fine, and, and, and I was very happy to be at it. But, but I, I'm impressed, very impressed with the friendliness of everybody and the help. When you ask somebody to do something or ask them a question, they go to no end of trouble to bring you, there, bring you where you want to go and to tell you everything and make sure that everything is going all right for you.
0: Michael Kelly of the Irish Catholic joins us too. Michael, I've heard people saying around the RDS that as the week has gone on, the numbers, particularly the numbers of Irish people coming, has increased.
2: It's true, Eileen, and I think uh, probably the context is people, a lot of people within the church were very apprehensive about this event. They weren't quite sure if it was going to be uh, uh, accepted or something that uh, people were going to uh, embrace. I think there was a lot of looking back at 1932 and maybe some of the media coverage saying, oh, well, you know, there was a million people in O'Connell Street then, there isn't going to be a million people now. And that's, that's true, but no one was ever expecting a million people now for no other reason. Health and safety wouldn't allow it. But the atmosphere has been really good, and it really has built during the week. I think it started nicely uh, with the sunshine on the Sunday and the fact that so many people saw that on television. I think in a way that... Um, that flicked the switch for many people who had been a little bit apprehensive and said, well, I might go, but I've no arrangements, because the number of people who hadn't registered and have just arrived as day pilgrims, that's much larger than, uh, than people have been expecting. And the buzz has steadily been increasing during the week. So that's, uh, that's only set to increase, I imagine, for Crook Park on Sunday.
0: And also with us is Father Tom Rosica, who's a priest of the Congregation of St. Basil, and since 2009 consultant to the Pontifical Council for Social Communications. Father Tom broadcasts for the Salt and Light Catholic Foundation in Canada, and you covered the last Eucharistic Congress. How do they compare?
3: They're two beautiful events. They build on each other. The one in Quebec City was in a more contained area, if you will, a geographical area of Quebec City, called the Pepsi Coliseum in the Fairgrounds, where this has a wonderful spirit, you know, these big spaces. I think the Eucharistic Congress in Dublin has benefited greatly From building on the experience of Quebec, you you took several of the ideas. We're we're there to offer ideas, and you're going to offer ideas to the next host city and country. That's what these events are all about. So I really applaud the efforts of the the team here in Dublin.
0: Father Brendan, you've been uh, attending each day. How has it struck you?
3: Well, I think, yeah, the
4: family atmosphere. You know, you're meeting loads of people, and there is something like a family spirit about the whole thing. Tremendous helpfulness friendliness, willingness to really uh, enter into the event.
0: That's Father Brendan Lee here, and we'll be talking to him later again in the program. But of course, a lot of preparation goes into a big event like this. Those with the most to say are the ones who have not only been preparing for the event but also for their first Holy Communion. Our reporter Rona Tarrant went to Kerry to speak to the boys and girls in Skull, Railton, the Modena and the convent primary school in Listole, who had some interesting views to share.
5: Um, the Eucharistic um, Converse is something like a really big mass, and loads of people go to it. I am the Lord. People get baptized, forgiveness of sins and we pray for sick people. The Eucharist is the body of Christ the body of Christ and the Congress is the gathering so it's um to everyone to gather to, together and and um, the celebrations, and everyone that um, believes in God will be celebrating with Him because it'll be like God's right beside, like Jesus' right beside their side. Final celebrations in Quo Park, and there's seven celebrations. I know that um, there's a uh, Eucharistic procession in the stall and um, that my teacher will be going to, to one up in Dublin and so will um, our priest in the stall and I'll, the girls will be leading um, everybody that made their communion will be leading um, the procession. He also wrote a prayer in our copy about it, the Eucharistic Congress prayer but I forget all the words. Very holy, very very holy. We will be throwing petals at the sacraments after our procession. The Eucharistic um, procession will be um will be really exciting because it's in the tenth of the June and it'll be really fun for us because we'll be able to lead it around the place with all the rest of the in the soul with the rest of the people um that made their communion and um that everyone will be able to get a chance to be with God forever. They sometimes come around with the Christic bell into churches and schools, and I think a priest asked a little boy up to ring it, and he was ringing it all the time, and when we were leaving, we all got to ring it. It was very loud, and you had to pull it hard, but really, it was really loud. When we were in the hall... um, he put pictures of Jesus hauling out the holy bread. So it's really important when we lead the procession around the because we don't. It might be the last time we get to wear our dresses. It's very far away in Dublin, but um, it's, but it would be um good for it to be quite near. Jesus is important and. Jesus is inviting you to go to mass. See, if you don't go to mass, it's like a tree and the branch. And if you break off a, a a branch, then you're not connected to God anymore. And it's it's very um it's very exciting for the Eucharistic Congress because we'll be able to lead it around the um, town and we'll be able to um we'll be able to see the um the, we'll be able to see the thing up in Dublin the in the RDS. I prefer to watch the Euro 12 on television rather than the Eucharistic Congress. I'd rather see the Eucharistic Congress because Ireland get beaten six in every match. Yeah.
0: quite 6-0 but 4-0 and I was there but the support was absolutely fantastic. Uh, Some very happy and hopeful children there and some words of wisdom no doubt. Uh, Father Brendan coming back to you. Father Brendan Leahy a theologian and author and talking about preparation one of the things leading up to the congress was a symposium in Maynooth a theological symposium. How did that go?
4: Well we were surprised it really went extremely well much better than we had anticipated because up to 400 People from all over the world from thirty different countries arrived, and we were delighted there was a tremendous atmosphere of exchange of views, not just so at the theoretical level, I could see people really entered into it because in fact, two of the days were absolutely miserably cold and wet and but despite that, I think a great atmosphere developed, and I think it was almost like an anticipation of this week um, with inputs from oh people from theologians from Nigeria. Uh, America, Poland, Australia, Italy, all over.
0: And what kind of things were they discussing?
4: Well, in a particular way, obviously we took the theme of Mm the symposium itself. It's 50 years since Vatican II opened. And the main theme of that council was the theme of communion, which isn't just about going to communion, but our relationships with one another, the relationships with the life of the Church, the way the Church is. And um, what came out there in particular, I think, was a full day that we dedicated to ecumenism, which was the second day. That was a really powerful day with uh, Cardinal Koch from the Vatican, but then Canon Nicholas Sagofsky, Anglican Canon of Westminster, giving a fine paper. Judy Candlis, a new, young, upcoming uh, Presbyterian theologian. And then we had Metropolitan Emmanuel of France, who is the president of the Conference of European Churches. So it was a very, and of course, Geoffrey Wainwright was a very well known ecumenist, Methodist ecumenist. So it was a very powerful day because I think the whole theme came out of how much there is in common among us all to be explored yet together. And that was very powerful. For instance, Julie Cannes's reading of John Calvin surprised us how strongly the theme of communion was in his writings and in his desire for the church. So that was something very pleasant and very, I think, encouraged us all. And that actually was one of the, maybe a word I would use. It was an encouraging symposium. Of course, there are issues always to be faced in the church and resolved, but very encouraging. And, it's, and if you do it in an atmosphere of communion, you have light.
0: Communion with Christ and one another, the theme, of course, of the Congress as well. Petra, do ordinary Catholics, if I can use that word, know enough about theology?
6: Um, well, as someone who just finished some studies in theology myself, and I wouldn't be in the same category as Father Brendan here, but it's amazing how I went into the studies thinking, oh, God, I know loads about my faith, and came out thinking, how did I know so little? And I think there's no, there's no stage where you say you can know enough. But um, it's certainly something that I'd be quite enthusiastic about. I think it would be great if we could encourage lay people even more to engage with that, because um, one of, I'm the Catholic comment group that, that I'm here representing we're offering a team of people to speak in the media about the faith. But one of the things we're trying to explain, and I think you can only do this if you have an understanding, kind of a theological understanding. One of the things we're trying to explain is that the faith is kind of like an orchestra or a tapestry, and that it's all interconnected. And I think it's only when you kind of go into it a bit deeper that you see that more clearly. So we're kind of like having taken from the theology end of it, we're trying to express that in a way that modern society can understand. But I think you have to start with the theology. So, yeah, great if, if... that's an area I'd love to see like even more people being able to engage with. Yeah.
0: Now you're talking about Catholic Comment. Petra uh, Conroy, your coordinator of this new organisation, what does it hope to achieve? Well, what we're doing is we're, we're modelled on a very
6: similar group over in, in England, um, Catholic Voices, and what we simply have is a team of 15 people that we've done a little bit of work with and we've let the media know that if uh, an issue related relation to the mission and teaching of the church comes up, that we'll try and put somebody forward, if we possibly can, out of the 15, at short notice if necessary, um, to try and explain that in a way. To show that, you know, the church has something that is actually reasonable. You know, sometimes you'd be afraid to admit that you're a Christian and you're trying to keep your head down every time it comes up in conversation, in case the conversation turns towards you. So it's just to kind of try and explain that there is something very positive something very kind of life-giving to it even and that it's actually very reasonable and to explain that in a way that is suitable for a media context and for modern society.
0: Okay, ecumenism is something we're going to return to with Archbishop Michael Jackson in a few moments people of all denominations were involved in a new Camino walk which involved visiting and praying in seven Dublin churches and which was launched as part of this congress. Reporter Claire McCormack went along and began by speaking to the Reverend David Gillespie of St Anne's Church in Dawson Street.
7: We were delighted to see St Anne's Church packed and I think we picked up quite a number of people who we were walking up Dawson Street and around the green and over here to Whitefriar Street. So it's fantastic and I think the weather's helped as well of course. Uh, there is something sacred about visit seven uh, churches uh, in the city centre and praying in each one of those and uh, it's something that we're keen to encourage and something that we in St. Anne's are delighted to be involved in. The Church of Ireland's delighted uh, to be involved in the Congress and we're encouraging as many of our own people as well uh, to complete uh, the walk and to visit all seven of the city centre churches.
8: The great thing about it is we're getting out on the street and taking our faith where it belongs. It's not behind cold doors or in stone buildings. It's showing everyone in the sunshine that faith actually is real. The youth aspect is basically drawing the whole of the church together, not just the older or the younger, but the, in the middle, and the teenagers and university students who are actually wanting to participate also in the pilgrimage as well. So the youth aspect here today is just participation.
4: I think it's wonderful. I think it's wonderful that it's been led by both Archbishops of Dublin. I think that's very nice and it's a historic moment in our city and I think it's worth joining. It wouldn't, mean, wouldn't have meant a lot to me because I'm Church of
1: Ireland, but I'm lo- happy to see anything ecumenical, and I think it's a wonderful occasion
8: for the Roman Catholic Church and for all the city.
9: I'm delighted to see it here. Like I, I'm a student of history, and I remember the reading as a student growing up about the Eucharistic Congress here, so it was such a major
8: event at the time, and it's, it's nice to see it like, here again. So I just wanted to be a part, little part of some of it. It's an integral part of Dublin. So I think that people who have grown up in Dublin would like to just... Uh, witness it and see it and take part in it for that reason
1: The very old churches in Dublin mean a terrible lot, you know they mean an awful lot and now everybody's out in the suburbs and I think it's nice, it's sort of renewal to come and see them again and to go around them and look at them and they are beautiful, you know and the fact that St Anne's was open was very big because um, my husband's great grandmother was married there in 1840 something so (laughs) it was the first time we were in there since then, you know
7: It's fantastic uh, to have them uh, as part of the congress, fantastic to have them in Dublin because it allows us to showcase seven of the oldest churches in the city centre. And I mean so many of the people who were in St Anne's this morning had never been inside St Anne's before and this is a tremendous opportunity to encourage people to do just that.
0: Claire McCormack on Dublin's Camino Walk one of the participants there saying happy to see anything ecumenical Archbishop Michael Jackson from Dublin you were involved in that walk and you were also one of the main speakers earlier this week at the Congress the 1932 Congress was dubbed Catholic Triumphalism that wasn't the case this year was it? Well I
8: think part of what happened in uh, 1932 uh, was we were in a very diff- different uh, political and social Ireland You may be interested to know that uh, during the time of the Eucharistic Congress, uh, the Church of Ireland actually ran a conference in the Mansion House because part of the reason, I think, the Eucharistic Congress was held then was it was the 1500th anniversary of St. Patrick. So we weren't specifically involved, but we didn't do nothing. And I suppose it's interesting to see how the movement has now got to the point uh, where we have been invited uh, to be part of the preparation and we've been invited to be part of the Congress itself. As you rightly say, Eileen, I had the opportunity uh, to be involved in uh, the Camino Walk, and also on the Monday of the conference here in the RDS to have a chance to lead an ecumenical liturgy where we tried to hold together uh, the the two ideas of baptism and communion father Brendan Leahy spoke earlier about communion not only or not exclusively being Eucharist so we worked on the basis of tying together baptism and communion and I honestly think that will give us plenty of opportunity to explore things together later on
0: what are the differences between the Anglican teaching
8: and the Catholic view Well, I think that's a realistic question but I'd also like to see if I can offer some of the similarities. I suppose the similarities are such that uh, we regard uh, participation in the Eucharist, both of us, as transformative. It transforms who we are through the presence of God in what we are doing and the way in which that relates individuals to one another through God's presence. Both of us work with the basic elements of bread and wine. They are transformed and we are transformed through receiving them. As I would administer Holy Communion in my own tradition, I would offer bread to people and I would say, the body of Christ. I'd offer wine and say, the blood of Christ. The one thing I think where we differ significantly is in the idea of the bread and the wine becoming uh, the body and blood of Christ. I think it's probably more than something linguistic, but we in the Church of Ireland tradition would say that they may be to us or for us the body and blood of Christ. So there is that point of distinction And I think within the discipline of our different churches, we respect that, but it doesn't mean that we turn our back on one another. I was at a talk yesterday evening here in the RDS given by Nicky Gumbel from Alpha, and he gave us the amazing statistic of 34,000 different Christian denominations across the world. So there's bound to be diversity.
0: Now I'm going to ask some of the other contributors about it in a moment, but very often it's to do with personalities. And you as Archbishop of Dublin and Dr. Dermot Martin do seem to work very well together.
8: Well, we do, and um, I rejoice in that. Um, I came to Dublin about a year and a half ago, and one of the first letters I received was from Archbishop Martin, and that was inviting me to be a participant in the Eucharistic Congress. I think he and I share a number of things together. Uh, we had already met outside of Ireland, um, and we're concerned with, um, I think, things which are fairly basic Uh, to the expression of Christianity. The idea of uh, ecumenical walking together, the idea of evangelization as something which I think the Christian church is now developing the confidence to offer back into an island, which, although described as secular or secularizing, is also, I think, quite confused. And uh, I hope that in a small way, together, we might be able to offer something that people will kind of see and say, if they can do it, Maybe we can give it a try.
0: Father Tom Rosica, Canadian, can I bring you back in here? What about relations between the two churches in general on an international level? And have they changed under this Pope Benedict?
3: That's a big question. Let's go back in time to the ecumenical movement and what the Second Vatican Council was for the Anglican Communion and also for the Catholic Church we have a unique relationship with the Anglican Communion, the Anglican churches throughout the world, the Episcopalian churches, There's they are known in, in the United States. We have many things that we do together. We have a common understanding and proclamation of the Word of God. In fact, it's the Word of God that serves as our basis of unity. We proclaim and preach the same readings in the common lectionary, not only with the Anglican Church, but with many of the mainline Protestant churches. That is a very big thing. When you're talking about communion there's a couple ways to understand it. First of all, the reception of communion in the host, which we believe to be the body and blood of Christ, the host and the wine, we have some differences of opinion, understanding of what that is. That does not mean that we're at war with each other. It does mean that we do not yet have full communion, and we live in the longing and the hope of that full communion. But I often put the focus on the Word of God, and the Word of God which then sends us to do transformative works of charity and to form circles of communion in the world. I have many wonderful Anglican friends. We have many Anglicans watching Salt and Light television in Canada and listening to our radio and television broadcasts because we're offering the Christian message. We also have a common mission of speaking about God and Jesus Christ in rather godless societies, societies and cultures that are saying there is no room for God or to privatize God and do what you do at home or in a quiet worship service. But I think the more we stand together with our Anglican brothers and sisters, we give a common witness, and the world needs that witness. Now, the changes, if you will, or the additions or new things that have happened under Pope Benedict is we have a whole effort underway right now, Anglicanorum Cetibus is the name of the document, where Anglicans have come to the Holy Father and asked to be received into full communion in the Catholic Church, Contrary to public opinion or some news titles that Rome is fishing in other ponds, it's rather a small group of Anglicans have realized that for their own personal journeys, they find the fulfillment of those journeys by becoming Roman Catholics. And a special status has been established now for that group of Anglicans. It's happening in different countries. It's not just one big universal reality where you have what you call an ordinariate, that is almost a diocese, for these people who come from Australia or the ones in the United States. And significant leaders have been appointed. In the United States, for example, Father Jeffrey Steenson, a brilliant Anglican, former Anglican bishop, a theologian, a patristic scholar, has been named the head of that ordinariate. In Canada, we don't have one because the numbers are so small that for the time being, those Anglicans are part of the, the ordinariate. Australia, the person was announced this morning, I believe, by Rome, that that person is identified, and so what does that mean? Now, there are those, the critics, or the the ones who don't bother to read anything, will say, this "Isn't this terrible? This is Rome stealing people." When really, this is a way of Rome offering hospitality to those who have knocked on our door. Many of my Anglican friends, bishops and priests, are not the least bit bothered by this, and many Anglicans are remaining in the Anglican Church. I will say this, though: the difference I notice in Canada is the Anglican Church is a much older population. There aren't a lot of young people, and that's a serious issue that a church, any church, has to deal with for its future existence.
0: Well, I think we could say that in general. Worldwide, it's probably the case. Petra, did Just, you want to when come when in I there? I listening to the Archbishop and Father speaking. I, one of the things that really
6: struck with me a lot was um, during the Congress I heard Brother Alois of Teze speaking, mm. and he had a very um, moving where he talked about the three different main three different Christian traditions the Eastern Orthodox one the Anglican tradition or of the, of the Reformation and um, the Catholic and just why can't we look at what each has to why don't we look more to what we have in common he spoke about how monasticism was contributed by the Eastern and the understanding of faith and of the word of God in the Anglican and then the unity aspect of I'm sure I haven't phrased that properly but and how, how do, why don't we look and very much he was talking about how they are actually living that out in a very concrete way in Taizé. And not, um, they're not washing over the differences. So young people that come from different traditions still celebrate their service in that tradition. There's Catholic masses, there's Anglican services, but that they're working through in a, in a really concrete way and moving together without washing over differences. I thought that was just really, um, it just really struck me a lot. He's, he's an amazing speaker as well. Yeah. Archbishop Jackson.
8: If I may just respond to what Petra said. I think um, those of us who are from traditions other than the Roman Catholic tradition who have participated in the Congress have very much come to regard it as a celebration of Christianity. Now, That's not to deny its primary purpose within the Roman Catholic tradition, but it has given the rest of us a tremendous opportunity for enrichment, for deepening our faith, uh, for meeting thousands of fellow Christians and also asking new, urgent questions about how we might harness the things which are good in all of our traditions, expose the things which aren't so good, and bring them together so that we can offer both common celebration and common witness. Father Brendan?
4: Yeah, I think it's going to be one of the big features of this week. Monday evening, for instance, I was involved myself in a workshop called the Dialogue of Life. There is so much life that we can live of the Christian faith together. And yesterday I was in Belfast, of an extension of the um, Congress, Dr. Maria Voce, founder of the uh, President of the Focalari, together with the the St. Anne's Cathedral, the Anglican Cathedral in Belfast proposed that a pact be made a pact of mutual love caring for each other's church as if it were my church and the four church leaders present there from the different traditions, Catholic Anglican, Methodist Presbyterian, made that pact of mutual love to share each other's joys and sufferings as if they were mine. I think that's the big thing of this week.
0: Um, Michael, there does seem to be popular support for this notion of ecumenism among the laity.
4: Very much so. It's
2: something that's very practical. I mean, uh, particularly in the Republic, maybe there are particular difficulties in Northern Ireland with the way the, the, the communities live apart in many areas, but particularly in the Republic, people live side by side with each other. It's, it's, it's seen as, as, as madness to them that if we can't get on in a friendly fashion, so, you know, your neighbours attend a different church on a Sunday morning, you know, they, they, they worship God in a, in a different fashion, in a different tradition. But we do share the Christian heritage together. We share the vision around the, the Word of God. Many sacramental things as well. Uh, and I think that becomes particularly more important when the country around us uh, can often be seen as deaf to the voice of religion. I mean, it, frequently we hear politicians say, you know, that they go into the doll and they leave their religion outside the doll. Now, the idea for a religious person of uh, being able to cut a part of yourself out that's religious and kind of leave it at home when you bring everything else with you that, that, that's, that's an impossible concept, if you like, for uh, a religious person. So, I think when we're faced with things like that, that's what causes uh, religious people to emphasize what, what they have in common and also to resist a temptation that's quite dominant, particularly in the Western world, to see religion as a problem to be solved, as if it's something to be overcome, and one day when we eventually overcome it, then you know everything will be fine. And so religious people are resisting that temptation to be boxed, I
3: think.
0: We may come back to that in a moment. But there are many problems in the church as we know. It's been a tough time for the Catholic Church, with the child abuse scandals seldom out of the news. On Tuesday, the papal legate, Cardinal Wellett, met some of the survivors in Loch Derg and apologized on behalf of the Church. Also, a healing stone was unveiled during the opening ceremony last Sunday, an acknowledgement of the sad history of child sexual abuse within the Irish Catholic Church. Reporter Rona Tarrant went to the opening ceremony and began by asking Congress Secretary General Father Kevin Dorn about why he felt this was an appropriate gesture.
8: We felt a stone was a good symbol of permanence and of commitment, because, you know, you talk about things being cast in stone, and the the healing stone carries a prayer, which is a prayer for people who have suffered abuse, but also a prayer for us, that we may be able to respond better to them and to the circumstances that led
4: to that problem in the first place.
5: Uh, many, many people are looking for the healing stone,
0: because we all personally... And publicly and nationwide, we need healing. Let them
3: show their sign of, uh, you know, that they want to reach out and that they want to, uh, you know, uh, show their, their hand and uh, appreciation of everything that's been done. And they have to look forward. You can't look back.
1: Of course, absolutely. It's all
0: about the yeah. We, yeah. I mean,
1: the oh yeah, the definitely. Needs
0: it's a to be healed. And no better place, you know? Yeah. No better place. Yeah, and yeah. like
1: it if, it's, if it's going to bring
2: awareness it has it has to people that child sex it has abuse to be acknowledged.
1: Is it? I couldn't understand how anybody could object to something, whether it's a stone or whatever it is, that's going to make people aware that yeah. child sex abuse is there. And, has and always has been there.
2: I just listened to your man do his, um, a sermon there. I didn't think he really dealt with the whole issue at all. Um, I thought it was quite poorly done, actually. Um, I, I suppose that they've kind of they've attempted to deliver on the whole issue, but they haven't delivered at all. And I think it's it's actually really poorly organised. And I think it was um, I, I don't I think they've missed a huge opportunity to deal with the the whole issue in Ireland um, completely. I I thought it was going to be something much more than this.
6: You know, we kind of think of um, our faith and we think of uh, St. Peter and he was always referred to as the rock, you know, the rock of Peter. And I think to have the healing stone is kind of, it's connecting back to our roots. And, um, you know, as I said, it's come from the earth. It's formed from creation. And um, I just think it's really fabulous.
7: I live in San Giovanni Rotondo. Uh, the land of Padre Pio, where Padre Pio the saint with the stigmata. And I say many times when they badmouth the Catholic Church that it isn't the church that's wrong. These atrocities that have been perpetrated by these Padres, by these priests, uh, yes, it is wrong. Let's clean it up, admit to it, but on the other hand it's called Catholic bashing.
1: I think it's terribly important to have it there today and to be acknowledged at the very beginning of this week. Um, I'm I'm delighted it's there.
0: That's a voice that's familiar to lots of us. Dana there ending that report compiled by Rona Tarrant. Father Tom Rosica, looking at this from the outside, what did you think of that notion of a healing stone?
3: First of all, I applaud the Eucharistic Congress here in Dublin for having faced the issues head-on in a remarkably open pastoral way, Uh, There was nothing hidden or washed over or whitewashed whatsoever. Many of us from the outside knew that we were coming here to Ireland knowing full well what was happening. I certainly did, uh, working in Catholic media and public media. We came here as a sign of solidarity, of support, and also admiration that many of us in different parts of the world would be as courageous. That being said, um, the stone is a very important gesture. Those who spoke and addressed the issue were very important. But for me, one of the most significant moments of all of this was Cardinal Sean Brady's homily last night. I was deeply moved by that. I know we had hundreds of thousands of viewers that communicated with us last night. The sincerity, the depth, the uh, you felt those words come. It was not speaking about those out there who did this. We have all been involved in this. We have all been involved in forms of cover-up and the time comes when the lid is off and we have to face them head-on. It's also, you know, we have a saint in the Catholic tradition. A great saint is at an influence on me. Saint Teresa Benedict of the Cross known as Edith Stein. She has a wonderful saying that you only appreciate the beauty of the stars against the backdrop of the night. And in Ireland particularly, you have had a long night. We have had a long night in Canada, in North America, the United States. And sometimes it's the backdrop of the night, and I'm not talking about the night in terms of temporal time. I'm talking about the scandals, the difficulties, the crises, the current crisis at the Vatican right now. And against that backdrop, You have events come about like the Eucharistic Congress in Dublin or the World Youth Day in Toronto 10 years ago or the World Youth Day in Sydney and all of these other places where you have all of these sideshows and backdrops of indifference, of scandal and whatever, and boom, the event comes and there's a public proclamation, not of theological issues only, because when you get right down to it, we're not talking about theological debates and crises and what is Eucharist and transubstantiation. We're talking about Jesus Christ. And Christians have come together, and to stand together—Anglicans, Christians, Protestants, Methodists—I've met all kinds of people here, and they're standing up and saying Jesus Christ is in the midst of this. He brings—he alone can bring the healing. No human being, no psychologist, no legal payoff, no nothing can bring healing to the seriousness of the sexual abuse crisis. But we know that Jesus is on our side. We're sailing on this boat, to use the image of the scriptures. And Christ is with us, and he's not asleep. He's very much with us. And I, I felt that in all this rain that was here, especially. <laughs> the only thing I didn't like about it was the rain. But anyway, we got through it.
0: Archbishop Jackson, for for those present, it seemed to be a very moving moment in the opening ceremony
8: when the stone was unveiled. Yeah, well, I could understand uh, why. And, you know, I'd just like to say a couple of things. Uh, you kindly gave me an opportunity to talk about some ecumenical aspects of the whole theme of communion. And... Some people might um, think, well, this really has nothing to do uh, with the Church of Ireland, this whole question of child sex abuse. Actually, one of the really important things about ecumenical belonging together, as some of the earlier speakers have brought out, is that when one part of the body hurts, the other hurts as well. And so uh, the small girl from Listowel who talked about uh, the tree and the branch which was broken off if you didn't, as it were, regularly participate in communion, in many ways brought up to date the sort of images that we have from uh, St. Paul's letter to the Corinthians and that sort of thing. What I'd say about a sign is that it remains something which draws people into thinking and to praying and to grappling with something which is real and the respect that reality needs to draw to it. Because it's a sign of pain and it's a sign of scandal. It's a sign of healing and it's a sign of hope. And you can't actually separate those things out. They're all part of the human experience. And all I'd like to say is that, you know, members of the Church of Ireland, members of other churches which are here, feel very much involved in this and in solidarity with those who suffer and with those who seek to bring alleviation of suffering and to enable us all once again to experience a living communion.
2: And, and I think, Eileen, a very important part of it is the organisers have announced today that you know, the healing stone that has been here all week in front of the altar, that that's going to be moved now to Loch Derg, uh, a site obviously associated with pilgrimage and penitence, because the idea was, I think, that this shouldn't just be a gimmick for the Eucharistic Congress or shouldn't be seen as something that's just uh, window dressing. And for that, that very reason, the, uh, the, the, there were a number of uh, uh, survivors of abuse here during the week as well, which the organisers were very keen not to draw attention to who they were so as for it not to become a sideshow. But it's going to be there in Loch Der- uh, that site associated with penance uh, as a permanent, a permanent marker, if you like, that this is something that you know can't be forgotten about.
0: We'll come back to lockdarg in a moment, Petra. Just on, on the stone thing again, because I know
6: there was some commentary even among people I was talking to about the stone beforehand and saying, "Well, what's the stone mean?" But there's one image that struck me. It was one of the days when we had sun in the arena, and the stone was there up at the front near the altar, and there were some young people around, obviously having a good time and laughing. And it, there's been a huge atmosphere of. Positivity and kind of enthusiasm and hope at the Congress. And I think people were surprised at that because I think they were thinking, is it okay for us to be positive and enthusiastic and encouraged in light of what's happened? And I looked at the stone and the young people near it. I thought, do you know something? We can be both. We can have something that's engraved stone, it's not going away, and we can have young people that enth- those two things are not two different things. They're the same. And I thought, that's an image I'll remember. The enthusiasm, and that stone that's not going anywhere—it's
0: part of what the way we think about things now. Now let's come back to Derg and Cardinal Wellet's apology, Father Brendan. Leigh, how important was that this week?
4: Well, it's very significant because, of course, here you have the Pope's own legate coming, in, directed by the Pope himself, to undertake this pilgrimage and, uh, you know, express this apology. So it was a tremendously significant gesture, which certainly cost him, in sense, he had to go up to, the, to, to, to Loch Derg and actually undergo all that penance. So I, I think it's a very powerful gesture, because I think in the Irish mindset, Loch Derg is a place, a symbol, it's a sign to us of, of that reparation, of that starting again that we want to, to make every now and again in life. Because there are those moments where each of us feels we want to just start again, just to turn the page and try to begin to rewrite or write in a new way, in a better way, our story. Loch is that kind of place. And the fact that the Pope sent the papal legate there, I think, was an indication to us that uh, we want to say sorry for the desperate things that have happened. Not just for the immediate victims, of course, which is first and foremost a priority, but I think we've all to accept that there are many indirect victims in Ireland. That is, all of us in some way have had our faith uh, shaken. And indeed, faith in the very principle of unity, which is the, 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 the role of the bishop, So I think this week has become an occasion for us to kind of refocus on our own life of communion and also the place of the bishop, because one of the interesting things here is bishops, you're meeting them all over the place because they're walking in the midst of the crowd. And as if we're getting a little icon of how things will be in the future. No longer the bishop isolated on his own, but a bishop in the midst of the people. And I think this gesture on the part of the people like is moving in that direction.
0: Now, one of the survivors who met him said, we believe we were heard and it won't end there. That was Oliver Burke of Right of Place. But there were other survivors who were calling to be heard here in the RDS on the platform. Michael, do you think they should be given that opportunity?
2: This is always a difficult one for the church, I suppose, to handle because people are at very different stages in their journeys. And, you know, what might be right for some survivors is not right for other survivors. We saw that in Dublin last. Last year as well when they had the, uh, the Liturgy of Lament in the Pro Cathedral. There were quite a number of uh, survivors who were there. They had their feet washed by Archbishop Martin, by Cardinal O'Malley who was the Pope's apostolic visitor for, for the Dublin Diocese. At the same time we had some other survivors who were outside protesting that the event was happening. So I think it really shows the depth to which just this this terrible crime cuts to the heart of people, that people are in such a, uh, such a different space and I I think we we all have to accept that. I mean, we all have to accept that people are at different phases in healing. But I think those victims who aren't ready to embark on on different parts of the journey, I think they have to be fair to the victims who are ready for that as well.
0: Apart from acknowledging past sins, this Congress was designed to look to the future. And one of the great optimists was one of the volunteers, whose GAA Dublin star Ger Brennan, Ger, couldn't be with us today but he did speak to reporter Claire McCormack who began by asking him how did a footballer become involved in an event like this?
9: Well I wouldn't define myself as a footballer I just define myself as a regular old who happens to have been given talent in football and very much involved in my fate as well and both of them kind of go hand in hand and give a lot of meaning to my life and if I was missing one uh, I, I, I'd be a bit unhappy you know, within myself, so uh, they're they're both very, very important, but it's just great to be involved in New Christ Congress to be helping out wherever I can and there's a great team of people, over 2,000 volunteers and then there's full-time staff as well involved in the Congress and you know, a great sense of being involved in the team here and doing something really good, really positive for the church in Ireland and for the church in the world. Well, I've been involved in the opening ceremony. There was the pilgrim introduction before the, the, the mass begun. And you had pilgrims from the four metropolitan dioceses of Ireland along with an international pilgrim group coming in. So I was working on something very different with, with Arcana production, who were running the stage management and the show. I was in a drama uh, exploring the, the gospel of where Jesus says to the disciples, you are the, the salt and light of the earth. So I got injured, I had my football gear on, the fake blood on, and it was the salt that when the women came out and healed me with the salt. And so salt, you know, is something which we can use to heal ourselves, to preserve ourselves and also add taste to, to food and then taste to the world. So it's about making the most of ourselves to, to add flavour to the world and other people.
6: And how would you say sport and your faith are intertwined?
9: Cool, yeah, cool question. Well, I suppose I'd always look at... Uh, there's, there's many different aspects, I suppose. You know, for for me, faith is a response to a belief. It's a way of of, of living your life in accordance to, to, to something. And, you know, that's very much centred on the example of Christ and, in particular, Ignatius Loyola, who was founder of the Jesuits. So I attended Belvedere College and his spirituality would have impacted greatly on my life. So I kind of see spirituality and faith kind of intertwined and it's... About kind of expressing yourself through your actions, giving meaning to your life. And when I think of sport and think of faith, like sport is just, or or even people who are artistic or into music, like if you create something or perform something, you're expressing who you are. You're giving meaning to your life. So faith and sport give great meaning to my life because I'm expressing uh, publicly and and privately too uh, things which, which 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 make me happy, which make me you know feel at peace, you know beforehand there's a couple of moans, just quite moans in, in prayer just to be thankful for my gifts and talents and just to go out there and try my best and you know for me it's a very spiritual experience when I'm out there as regards morals and ethics look you're there to win you're there to uh, you know to to, to 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 beat your opponents and if feet beat you fair and square however uh, it means possible you know At the end of the day, shake hands, but uh, I wouldn't be watching myself, (laughs) to be honest.
0: (laughs) As we well know, Dublin footballer Ger Brennan, and our thanks to Ger. Unfortunately, Father Tom has had to leave us. Ger talking there about salt and light. Father Tom from the Salt and Light Foundation in Canada. The aim of this uh, Congress was to promote
1: renewal. Sister, do you think it's been a success? I'm, I'm, I'm full of hope for the future. With, with the, the 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 enthusiasm and the sincerity of of everybody here, and, and when I see people that are gathered in the in the prayer space down below and spending hours there in prayer, it's certain the Lord will certainly have to listen and answer our prayers, and I expect a big change coming over the whole country,
2: full of hope. Michael, would you agree? I'd be very optimistic, uh, very much so. I think the challenge now is to turn the great energy, the great enthusiasm, the great passion that is here to bring that back to the parishes, to bring that back to the communities. I think that that, that is the big challenge now. But certainly another thing that it is shown here, Father uh, Brendan was speaking earlier about uh, the great interest in the theological symposium. And I think the fact that many of the talks and workshops here were full 30 minutes before they were due to start, people were queuing sometimes for an hour and a half to go to a speaker, I think that shows there's a massive thirst among the christian community here for faith formation to know more about their faith to share more about their faith that's a very positive thing
0: is it good for christianity in general this week oh i think so very
2: much uh one of the things that has struck me
8: and you know i've been here i think um on four days is that god is present in the normality of people and uh that i think is something that will enable us to bring something of the spirit of this back into communities and parishes. I think two words, I suppose. One is evangelization, which, of course, has also got to do with theological um, uh, kind of education and interchange. And the other thing is young people, because I think there's been tremendous interest in the youth space and also the way in which young people have been volunteers and school parties have come and this sort of thing. It's easy to be over-optimistic when you're in the middle of something which is happening around you But I think the onus is very much on those of us who have had this experience to tell others about it and bring that spirit and embed it in who we want to become as the people of Ireland tomorrow.
0: Isn't that a point, Father Brendan? It's it's easy to become over-optimistic when you're at the centre of it. How Um, do you think it's been perceived outside to people who didn't get involved?
4: Yeah, well, I mean, I suppose one thing, just to take up that point, is the Canadians here who had this experience four years ago, they're able to tell us that look in these past four years so much has come out in canada that would never have come out had it not uh, you know been because of the because of the congress so they're here as by way of saying it, it's not just an optimistic moment it actually will give rise to many new shoots of life and i think that's fantastic of course there are always going to be people who probably if you haven't been here it's going to seem like an odd event nevertheless i think the word is kind of getting out there that uh, something interesting has happened here. Many people, I I believe, are doing the Camino. I've been told that loads and loads of people are doing the Camino. That's already something which maybe is a tradition that will begin now with this uh, Congress. I suspect we will all feel maybe we need to do something like this every now and again, not a Eucharistic Congress, but some kind of festival of faith or some kind of moment of acknowledging our faith, our Christian faith, uh, as Archbishop Jackson was saying. I think that will come out of it. I think, as uh, Michael was saying, this huge thirst which you sensed for um, spirituality, for formation of the faith, that is a clear sign that has emerged in this, um, in this Congress. Like, I was involved the other day in a, in a workshop for communities, new communities, new movements in the Church, and it was absolutely packed out one hour beforehand, and it's a sign of something. Tonight, then, we've had the um, the Chiara Luce Badano Youth Forum session. And, again, you know, this is young people. A young, a 19, she's a 19-year-old saint. She died 20 years ago, already been declared a saint by the Catholic Church, but she's a very modern person with a mobile phone in her hand, etc., sanctity, holiness is possible for young people today, the 20th, 21st century. And I think that's going to come out in this, in this Congress. Petra, for lay people.
6: Yeah, I mean, one of the, just to tell a funny story, if time, one of the talks was so packed out that the person's mother, the presenter's mother, was queuing up and the person wouldn't let her in. And she said, I'm her mother. And she said, no, 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 health and safety. And anyway, if you're her mother, you should know what she's going to say. <laughs> <laughs> so that's just to show how many figures i here. I suppose what strikes me is a few things about going forward from here is two things that struck me when I got here was the international... Aspect of it that I was kind of thinking, okay, it's in Dublin, and we'll invite a few other people, but it really is international. It's it's very much so. It's like we're holding it in Dublin, but it's there's people here from Africa, there's people here from Japan, there's people here from. That's amazing. I've, that's been really I've been really struck by that. The second thing is, as I said earlier, that people realise now it's okay to be enthusiastic about your faith and still not forget what went on in the past. And then I think. what what will make the difference about when we go forward is if we remember that it's about Jesus Christ, so the whole Eucharistic. And I went into the prayer space for a few minutes and it was actually the first time I'd been there for any length of time before I came in here to calm the nerves. And I thought, you know, this is, I've got to the center of the Congress now. But the last point is this. It'll make the difference if we stop saying when is the the renewal in the church happening and start saying Oh, I must do that to contribute to the renewal. So even Catholic comment, and I can say this because I didn't, I wasn't the originator of the idea. It was just some people who saw a need and said, "Why don't we do it?" I've just come down from Father Bill Kemi has started a thing called I Catholic, which is a video portal, like YouTube, but it's going to kind of be a place for people of faith to kind of, you know, present, you know, visual imagery or programmes and stuff. There's he just thought of that idea and he went with it. So I would say, it's up to people to say, stop looking to see what's going to happen with the renewal and say. Oh i 've been here, I felt that enthusiasm. I think I could do
0: something about that. There are of course ongoing problems, and we have reports today about the apostolic visitation to the Irish college in Rome. Now there are conflicting reports about it, but we don't uh, so we don't want to go into it too deeply, but that's making renewal more difficult, isn't it michael
2: sure, some of the the issues that are, are being reported today about the the Visitation of uh, Cardinal Dolan. As you say, there, there are, is confusion about it, but we do know that uh, you know, the, the, the staff in the college are, are, are all being replaced, and uh, new, new staff have been appointed. That would certainly indicate that the apostolic visitation, whatever the detail, identified some kind of unhappiness with, uh, with, with the way the Pontifical Irish College was being run. I think what this is pointing towards, though, this is housekeeping that has to be done as part of renewal, because if we say, well, we've had the Murphy report, we've had the Ryan report, therefore we've entirely cleaned up all of our house, and we move on, and we haven 't actually addressed maybe some of the root issues or the root crises then this is the sort of thing that 's going to come up five years from now ten years from now so all of these things they 're they're, they're painful for people within the church but I, but I think they are necessary uh, you know that great line from St Augustine you know God has no need for your lie you know we, we don 't have to we, we don 't have to be nervous or uh, or embarrassed or fear the truth coming out about these things in fact uh, You know, it's been the problem in the past when we we feared all of these things, yet they've been bubbling under the surface and they eventually come up and explode if unaddressed.
0: So, final question then. Are you optimistic, folks, about the future for the Church in Ireland?
2: I would certainly have to say I'm, I'm very optimistic. Um, there, there's a lot to build on. Uh, you know, We have actually, even a, a basic issue of mass attendance, we have one of the highest in Europe. So I think that's something to build on very strongly. We have had plenty of young people here this week. We've plenty of people of different generations. So I think that's something that I uh, can be very positive about.
6: Petra? Yeah, and I think, again, echoing what Michael says, optimistic, but also expecting that the life of any organisation is going to have difficulties. And it's not as if now, oh, that's all sorted. We'll never. That's going to be part of the way we move forward we're human beings so Sis- optimistic
1: plus realistic yeah. sister oliver yes i see that and at home in iran i see we have a youth group and they're actually singing today i think the elation group and there are four pupils from up from the school who are who are part of it and and full of enthusiasm and that gives me great hope for the future
8: archbishop jackson yeah um, optimism i think is uh, very much a word i'd use I think it's strengthened um, by a number of the aspects of realism that we've talked about because otherwise it's just a pipe dream and I think there's no intention of offering something empty to the
4: people of Ireland coming out of the Congress.
0: And final brief word to you, Father well, Yes, Brent.
4: looking at all the amount of young people and children here these days, you can't but be optimistic. I think it has been a tremendous uh, success that way. But also just thinking of the fact that the Irish Church is very, has very, very deep roots And I think God's at work in the Irish church, and he's bringing out something for the universal church through our experience. It's painful and very painful, but God is doing something new. And, you know, one of the books of the Old Testament puts it like that. Look, I am doing something new. Do you not see it? And I think that this has been a a week for seeing it a little bit more.
0: Father Brendan Leahy, Archbishop Michael Jackson, Sister Oliver Rafter, Michael Kelly and Petra Conroy, thank you all for joining us today. this evening and to Father Tom as well who had to leave us earlier That's our programme for this week and indeed for this season and we'd like to particularly thank Ashling Harmy and her staff for their invaluable help in organising this programme this evening We hope we've provided some food for thought during the season as well as some entertainment. Joe Duffy and I will be hosting the concluding ceremonies on Sunday at Croke Park and Godslaw producer Jerry McCardle will provide radio commentary on our long wave and digital services. We leave you now with the Eucharistic Congress hymn, Though We Are Many, which was recorded at last Sunday's opening ceremony. We hope to return with a new series in the autumn, but until then, Google these years shift.